In the year 2016, uh, perhaps my best living friend died. Uh, in late August, just shy of his 51st birthday. Um, actually, a month before his birthday. Now, as I look back on that time, um, I found out, uh, I heard from Kristen, his wife, and, um, and she began to plan for a, uh, a memorial service for Michael. And she asked me if I would be a part of that and speak. And in all honesty, you know, Generally, I'm okay at funerals. Usually, um, usually I'm okay. I might miss the person. I might have known the person in a deep way. I have, uh, in my 28 years at St. James, a little over 28 years, I have buried a lot of people I considered friends. But there was a unique difference uh, about Michael's uh, funeral. And so I went off to New York uh, in the middle of September, and uh, there were several things that I knew. I couldn't do it by myself. I couldn't uh, eulogize, preach about, share the story of my friend um, on my own because my knees were a bit weak and uh, the motions were a bit raw. In fact, talking about it makes them a little raw again. But there was in that congregation of, of mostly strangers, a whole contingent of clergy, uh, because Michael was a pastor, a whole contingent of his congregation that he was serving. Uh, there were among those friends, friends of his, that were also friends of mine, that were already, that were also from St. James. And not only those friends that were there, there was an entire congregation of people who cared about me back in Alexandria that was praying for me. And I was lifted up and somehow, miraculously, and it felt like, you know, we look for miracles like, you know, burning bushes that don't burn and voices from the clouds. But it was miraculous to me that I was able to get through a message about Michael that morning or that afternoon. It's all a blur uh, at that service. And it was only by the grace of God and the uplifting of friends that I could do that thing. Today, I wanted to share with you uh, a story of calling that's kind of, uh, it's one of those subtle calling moments because Jesus never says the words, follow me. He never says any of the kinds of things that you expect to hear in a calling story. A burning bush, uh, you know, even Esther, even though she didn't hear from God, heard from, you know, her uncle for such a time as this. All we know is what I'm about to share with you, the story from Mark chapter 2, 
beginning in verse 1. When he had returned, he being Jesus, when he had returned to Capernaum after some time, it was reported that he was at home. And many came to hear them, so many there wasn't room for them, even around the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four men. And when they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof. And they let down the stretcher on which the paralytic lay. Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now there was among the crowd scribes and Pharisees who began to question inside themselves, Who is this to speak thus? It is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And immediately, Jesus, sensing in his spirit that they were questioning inside themselves, said, what is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or rise, take up your pallet, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority over sins, he said to the man, rise, take up your pallet, and walk. Immediately, the paralytic got up. He rolled up his stretcher on which he had lain, and he went out before them all. The crowds were amazed. We've never seen anything like this. And Jesus went out by the sea, and he was teaching them. This is the gospel of our Lord for this morning. Praise be to God. Jesus is in town. You know, it's like when someone unpopular is in town. Uh, and everybody wants to see him. You know, uh, they're willing to wait in line to see him. Uh, he's a faith healer. I mean, we're in the beginning of chapter 2. And in the first chapter, he's called some disciples. He's cast out some demons. He's done all sorts of cool things. And his name has grown. His name has grown. So that the second time he's in Capernaum, because the first time... He just had lunch at Peter's house, more or less. This time, there are so many people to hear him, and he's teaching in a house that they crowd around the doors and the windows so that they can hear. Now, I remember um, in the 80s, I was, um, I was part of an evangelism team that went to uh, Ghana, in West Africa. I went there not to teach anything about evangelism, but to learn, because uh, to this day, the church in Africa is growing like wildfire. So I went to Ghana. I did get to preach. Um, but when I was there, one of the things that was most exciting and interesting to see is they would build a church, uh, but they would make sure that there were lots of big windows and I always thought, well, you know, maybe that's for a breeze because it was hot, you know. Part of that was 
that there was, there, when they filled up, if, if you got there early enough, you could get a seat inside. But people from the surrounding communities around many of these churches would gather outside the building. They would prop open the doors. They would open all the windows so people could hear and sing along outside. Thanks, Siri. I love that uh, Siri sometimes likes to talk to me when I'm not talking to her. Uh, they would make that room so that outside the building, everyone could hear. There were that many people that would come to hear the good news. That's how powerful it was. And you've got to imagine in the first century, Jesus has healed people, cast out demons. I don't know how good of a preacher he is. We all imagine that if he was preaching, we'd want to hear him. I suspect that we wouldn't. And the reason why is because he'd call us like we are. <laughs> And some of us would just as soon have a nice flowery sermon that makes us feel better than a sermon that uh, catches us in our flaws, as well as opens us to the love of God. So here's Jesus preaching. And you can only imagine that across town somewhere, now Capernaum is not a huge place. It's not even a huge place today. Um, it's not a huge place, but across town, there's a paralyzed guy. And he would love to be healed by Jesus. But he's paralyzed, and he can't get there. So four of his friends, four of his friends answer a call. Now, was it his call? The story doesn't tell us whether the paralyzed guy called or whether the paralyzed guy's parents called and said, hey, four friends, come over and carry this guy, uh, carry the paralyzed guy. I wish he had a name. It's one of those many stories in the Bible. It doesn't get a name. You know, carry the, carry PG, paralyzed guy, carry him to see Jesus. And they answered the call. Only they answered the call in such a powerful way because having heard the call to get the paralyzed guy to see Jesus, however that call came, they would not be stopped by anything, including architecture. Everybody is crowded around outside the house. There is no room to get in to see Jesus. And nobody is moving. Everyone's transfixed by whatever Jesus has to say, the word that he is preaching. They're so transfixed that they won't move necessarily. Everybody wants to be healed. Everybody wants to be close to Jesus. You know, I can only imagine, I've been near some spiritual people in my life. And when you really deeply spiritual people. And when you're with them, you feel the presence of God. You feel the presence of God. When they're talking, it doesn't even completely matter what they say. One of my teachers in the living school, Jim Finley, very eloquent, powerful spiritual speaker. Every time I sit transfixed in his class, or did, now, as I listen to recordings of him talking, somewhere in the middle, I get lost in what he's saying. But I feel a deeper sense of connection to God. I feel it. And maybe that's what it was about Jesus. I don't know. 
In any case, everybody wanted to be near him. And these four friends could not get to Jesus because of the crowd. That's what we're told. Can't get to him because of the crowd. Now, I don't know how good of a friend you are, a good friend I am. I am not sure at that point if we don't turn to our friend, the paralyzed guy on the cot, and say, I'm, I'm really sorry, we can't get in. But that's not what these four guys do. These four friends do not do that. They don't stop there. Their intent, their intent is to get this man, by whatever means they can, to see Jesus. That's their calling. That's their intention. They want the best for this man. And so they do something that I consider to be a little unusual. And if I were the homeowner, maybe more than a little unusual, a little irritating. You know, I know what it is to have roof work done. Uh, and uh, these guys decide if we can't get in through the front door, the back door, the side door, or the windows, we'll just take off the roof. And we'll let the guy down, slowly, to see Jesus. And that's what they do. They tear a hole in somebody else's roof. Because the most important thing is that they get their friend, the paralyzed guy, to see Jesus. Now, what's interesting to me about this story is uh, something that we miss oftentimes. And that is, it's not at all about what the paralyzed man believes. It's not at all. We're not told anything about the paralyzed guy except that he's carried by four friends and at the end of the story that he can apparently roll up his cot and walk out. That's everything we know. And perhaps that he was from Capernaum. We don't know that for sure, but we have to assume that he was in Capernaum when Jesus came to town. And that's, what we say. that's about as much as we know about this guy. That's all we really know, except that he had four amazing friends that were undaunted. And it was their intention, their hope, their faith, that brought wholeness and healing to this man. That's a powerful story. Now, see, I spent my whole life thinking it was all on me. Faith. You know, it's all, it's all on me. If I want a connection to God, it's got to be all about me. It doesn't matter what my, you know, I was raised and there, you know, God does not have grandchildren. You are either a child of God by your own choosing or not. That's what I was raised to believe. But, hey, apparently, you don't, you know, this guy doesn't even necessarily have any faith. But he has friends who have faith. And that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. It is their intent, their undaunted intent to get this man to a place of wholeness, healing, forgiveness, reconciliation that leads them to do whatever they can to get him there. Now, Job could have wished for friends like this, but we're not talking about Job today. The paralyzed man has got friends like that. And it's their faith that changes his life. 
Now, as I look at the story of calling, who could have ever imagined that friendship is a calling? I'm not talking about, you know, I grew up in a time, I'll be honest with you, in the early days of my evangelism training, I was taught that I should befriend somebody enough to be in conversation with them, enough so that I could convince them rationally that they ought to believe in Jesus, because that was my job as an evangelist. Uh, this was when I was a lay person. This was the training I received about what evangelism was about, befriending someone for the purpose of converting them to Jesus. I personally think that's lousy. We should befriend other people because we love them or we should not befriend them at all. Because intent matters. Ends do not justify means. In the kingdom of God, our intent is always to love. To love, to love, to build bridges. Someone might argue that rationally it's loving someone to befriend them purely for the purpose of converting them. But I think there's a lot of faulty logic in that. Intention matters. It mattered because the intent of those men was to get this man to Jesus so that he could find healing. They had only good intentions for their friend they may not have had good intentions for the man's roof that was over Jesus' head, but they had a good intent. And that intent shaped the action they took. Both their means and the end were interconnected. It was, in the end, all about love. It was all about love. At St. James, we say we're bridge builders. We're meant to be bridge builders at the intersection of life. It's just another nice way of saying we're meant to love people where they are. When we came up with that vision statement about what we're about, the truth is what we were trying to do is find a way to, to say we're going to love people the best we can. If that means feeding them food, like we do at the West End Food Pantry, that's what we will. If it means preaching sermons and reminding people of how infinitely precious and how unconditionally loved they are, that's what it's going to do. If it means gathering for fellowship when it's safe to do so, that's what we're going to do. If it means going to Appalachia and rebuilding and making people's houses safe, warm, and dry, that's what we're going to do. And we're going to make that opportunity for people available because... Our purpose, our intent is always to love and to find new and powerful ways to make God's love come alive. I don't want to convince you that Jesus is the right guy. That's not my job. What I want to convince you of is that you are loved. And if you find that love, that you may indeed discover, as I did, that that love flows from God through the eternal Christ, through the person of Jesus, that it flows to us. But in the end, all I can tell you is, I know you are loved. I know you're in love. When I preach every Sunday morning, 
no matter what the words are that frame the message and the text I use, my intent is to communicate God's love for you. Right where you are, right who you are, right now, regardless of what you do in response to it, God's love doesn't stop. Sure, God would love you to love God back. Wouldn't we all? But in the end, that's up to you. How you respond to love is how you respond to love. I know some people who love back when they're loved. Every Sunday morning, not every Sunday morning, but most Sunday mornings, there's a team of six of us in this room who are here because we love you and we love God and we believe the message that we carry matters. Some of us do it from behind the camera. Some of us do it from in front. But in addition to that, this morning, other people appeared at the door and they brought with them items. Do you know one of the ways we're going to show love this year at St. James is we're adopting families through Rising Hope United Methodist Church, which is a mission church over on the Route 1 corridor. And behind me, in addition to the food for the West End Food Pantry, there are what I intended to display beautifully but got distracted before worship because distraction is one of my spiritual gifts. Uh, there are gifts for some of the kids on that family. You know, we, we started with 30 kids, and almost as soon as we put them up, we're down to six. We're down to six. Linda's had to request that maybe they give us some more because she suspects those six might be gone before we know it. But you see, this is meant to say to some child who will receive this gift, you are loved. Not because of what you do, not because of how wealthy your parents or guardians are, but you're simply loved without condition, without strings attached. And that's what these gifts behind me say. What is your calling? Every single one of us is called to live a life of love, to carry and befriend those around us because we honestly love them and whatever they need to do in response. Because that's what love does. It doesn't seem like much of a calling to be the four friends who don't even get named, to a guy who doesn't even get named who's paralyzed. But I imagine to the paralyzed guy and to his four friends who carried him to see Jesus, the only difference they really needed to do was to see new life in their friend and for their friend to hear the powerful words, rise, get up, and get up, take your pallet up and walk. Or your sins are forgiven. All the things you imagined that separated you from God, they're wiped away. And you are loved. You are loved. 
Can you hear that yourself? Do you have friends that can help you hear that? Do you know people who don't know that they are loved, forgiven, reconciled, healed, whole, just the way they are? Do you have friends like that? Because perhaps you can carry them. More figuratively, perhaps. Although simply loving changes the fabric of the world. Simply loving changes the fabric of the world. So I'm going to charge you. And by charge you, I mean say to you, that in this week of Thanksgiving, as you enter into it, whether you can leave your house or whether you choose to leave your house or not, I want you to love with purpose. I want to see yourself as the friend you are and the power you have to love. And I want you to hold up some of your friends who are isolated, broken, lost, and alone. I want you to hold them up in your prayers I want you to carry them in your love. I want you to picture them and imagine the warmth of God's love surrounding them and you and creating an eternal connection through the power of God's Spirit because that's what the Spirit does. It connects us. Distance is distance. The connection is God. Connection. Be that friend. Be love where you go. Because those four friends lived into their calling. A simple calling, but carrying one another. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing.